0: This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Finance Talkback, it's 26 past 12, Barry.
1: We certainly are, and we're very privileged to have uh, with us today Terry McCran. Now, Terry has had a quarter of a century writing daily comment on business, economics, economics and the politics of Australia. He reaches a bigger audience than any other columnist through the Daily and Sunday Telegraphs and The Australian, and in Melbourne, of course, The Herald Sun and Sunday Herald Sun. He's provided critical analysis and commentary on great events and personalities that have shaped our great nation. He is a former Graham Perkin Journalist of the Year, Financial Journalist of the Year, winner of the Melbourne Press Club's Golden Quill Award, and also winning prestigious Wakely Award. How are you, Terry? Good afternoon, Barry. You're looking fit and well. <laughs>
0: Good to be back with
1: you. Yes, fantastic. We did briefly mention um, interest rates last week, and we talked about the Reserve Bank going up in quarter of a percent steps, up to now 7%. We're increasing endeavouring to try and reduce spending of course the usa reducing down in half a percent steps to i think they're about three percent at the moment this is most unusual and of course we've had a lot of these increases um it, it doesn't seem to be working
0: well i wouldn't quite come to that conclusion but we don't want uh, we, i mean if you mean by working that we bring the economy to a shuddering halt, mm-hmm. I think I'd prefer it not to work. But the Reserve Bank really wants to try and take some of the heat out of the economy without really causing it to come to a shuddering halt. Mm-hmm. The contrast with America is interesting, but the lesson to be drawn from that, I think, is uh, they have really serious problems in the US, uh, and uh, th- th- what's happening in Australia is a product of our prosperity. Now, we too much of prosperity, too much of a good thing, causes problems with inflation, and that's really the Reserve Bank's concern. So uh, we want them to succeed in taking the heat out of the economy, but we don't want them to end up in the same situation that the US is in, where the US is uh, heading towards recession.
1: Mm, Not looking good over there. Now, we once upon a time didn't have so many lending products that are being aggressively advertised you know once upon a time there were constraints or controls do you think and also another one that we sh- we're probably not taking it well I don't know whether we're taking into consideration or not is the mortgage release where the uh, older population can borrow on their home and interest rates probably don't worry them because they really don't have to pay this loan back anymore so is this sort of adding to the fire? Well,
0: a very good question, Barry. I mean, like all these things, there are positives and negatives out of this. I think on the positive side, obviously, it provides more people with access to home loans. It provides, as you indicate, older people the ability to free the equity in their houses and uh, support themselves in later years, which was not the case previously, where they would have relied entirely on the pension. The negative side of that, as you've indicated, obviously, is that it can lead to excess, that that, that people can borrow money when they shouldn't, and they can overcommit themselves, and that's one of the big problems we have, or some people have today, with these rising interest rates. Uh, so it's, a, it's really a question of balancing the two, and I think on, on balance we are better off that we have more products, we have more competitive financial institutions, leading to more availability of finance and... By and large, cheaper finance that would have been the case uh, in the old days. But uh, So that uh, on balance, I think it's probably a good thing, but it does add to some of these issues and does cause uh, further pressure on the sort of things we're talking about.
1: Just sort of digressing a little bit, I, I notice uh, that a lot of people coming through as they get older really don't do any budgeting. Maybe, um, I don't know whether you're going to this 1,000 people in Canberra or not, but maybe it should be brought up there that we should be teaching our kids at school from a young age that budgeting is a very, very major part in being successful. I mean, even with countries, companies, all budget.
0: Well, absolutely, Barry. Just to uh, digress, I won't be going to the 1,000-person uh, talk fest in Canberra. I'm not quite sure... What a thousand people talking about a period of topics is going to achieve. Yes. Uh, but your point is absolutely correct. I mean, budgeting and understanding money is is obviously fundamental and even more crucial now than in years past for people to actually uh, survive in the modern world and uh, uh, and indeed to do well.
1: Absolutely. Look, getting on to inflation. This is a this is an interesting uh, subject. Which has the most effect on the push of pushing up of inflation would you say rising prices or wage demands the latter we haven't seen much of lately
0: no we haven't Barry and that's uh, that's exactly the point Um, we've seen a range of things that are pushing up uh, inflation petrol prices uh, the cost of housing the cost of rents uh, and increasingly also the cost of food Uh, and, and that's again flows from a whole range of things including the drought but, but, but in a more fundamental sense, the fact that there are a lot more people out there able to, and I'm talking about the world now, not just Australia, able to enjoy a higher lifestyle and are consuming more food around the world. I mean, we, we look at what's happening in China and India. It's not simply that uh, that's great for our mineral exports, but it also means that uh, these people are eating a lot more food and a lot more varied food than they would have done uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and uh, what the Reserve Bank is concerned about, Barry, is that these rising prices in a very strong economy don't cause the unions and just people generally to go out there and seek higher wages.
1: Interesting don't seek higher wages, and we base everything on this CPI, but calculating inflation seems to be a science well beyond the comprehension of a lot of people. But, And I noticed on the website, the ABS website, I found some significant contributions to the December quarter, for, for uh, picking a few of them out, auto fuel point, it was up, I think, 7.3%. Holiday travel and accommodation up 3.7%. Loan facilities up 2.7%. Now, one that I found was, I just couldn't get my mind around it, some significant offsetting items, surprising. Fruit was down 13.5%. Vegetables down 6.9%. Pharmaceuticals down 5.4%. did not make sense to me.
0: Well, some of those things, obviously, Barry, are a function of things like the drought and the cycle of food production. If we go back a couple of years, when we had the uh, the devastation to the banana crop in in uh, Queensland, that we, we bananas were selling for twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars a kilo as a mm. consequence of that, and when they obviously dropped, and the, the next crop came along and they dropped back to the three, three or four dollar a kilo level, that would flow through in the sort of big drop that you've seen uh, and that would apply across the board but in terms of in terms of trying to understand what this cpi is about it's trying to get a continuing measure of a broad basket of goods and services that the average person spends on in the course of a week in the course of a year now obviously what you spend your money on what i spend my money on will be different to a lot of your listeners and uh, it can also be different in terms of ages. So the older you are, you're more likely to be spending money on pharmaceuticals and on health care. So it's, it's not a perfect measure and it doesn't really capture all the differences, hmm. but it's, it's, it does give us a broad idea of uh, the prices of, the, of what we would spend on the average basket from week to week.
1: OK, then if we're increasing interest rates to control inflation, it doesn't seem to capture everybody. You see what about those that have no borrowings Uh, they look at interesting uh, enough they look at increasing interest rates as a it's perfect for them so is the interest rate management using it to put on the brakes or release is that out of date do you think
0: Uh, a very challenging question barry it i guess uh, the best way of thinking about interest rates as a mechanism for controlling the economy it's not the best way, thing we can do, except that it's better than all the alternatives. So, um, yes, uh, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a blunt instrument, but it works in two direct ways. Those who've got borrowings uh, would obviously feel the pain and would have to cut their spending back somewhat. And, and on the other side of the coin, if we're cutting interest rates, uh, it will enc- encourage those people to spend. But secondly, it then flows through to the economy more broadly, uh, and it's it's that indirect effect where if, if you're cutting your spending and I'm cutting my spending, that means uh, the people that would otherwise be getting income from that are impacted and they then cut their spending a bit. So you get this flow-on effect, this cascading effect, which is mm. where it will work uh, most strongly.
1: Okay, this next question. One that I've been interested in, we've been discussing it at work, governments, the government's major priority is to control inflation. Rising prices is a major factor. Auto fuel is one of the major components of this and it's a major factor in the expense, not directly and indirectly, on everything and everyone. So why not use it in conjunction with interest rates? What I'm getting at is the petrol excise. Uh-huh.
0: Yes, yeah, a very good question, Barry. Um, I guess that we've got to put that in the context of, of other government objectives and other objectives more generally in the economy. That uh, if it would be an easy thing to do to cut the fuel excise to a, obviously make petrol cheaper, and that would respond to uh, the, the concerns of drivers generally, but also then to feed that into the broader economy in terms of cheaper cheaper costs, cheaper business costs, and therefore be a boost to uh, to business. Now, offsetting that, of course, is all the debate about, uh, do we want to use more petrol? Do we want to encourage people to use public transport? So, again, it's one of these difficult issues of trying to balance competing objectives. Uh, yes, it would help uh, on the one hand, but on the, second, on the other hand, we'd end up using more petrol. So, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough one.
1: Okay, so what we're going to do, I have one more question for you and then we're going to go for a break. So, okay, we've looked at interest rates, we've looked at the possibility or the not the possible way of uh, cutting government excise. What about this one? There's tax breaks coming up in July. Now I know we see these in the paper that there's $31 billion of tax breaks. Obviously it doesn't get paid in one lump sum. It's a long uh, process, but why would we be trying to fuel spending, instead of doing that, why don't we say, look guys we're not going to give you the whole tax break what we're going to do is give you either 25% or 75% of it and put the balance into your superannuation. This way we're killing two birds with the one stone. Reducing money into the f- system but encouraging people to save for long term retirement benefits.
0: Again, about it's a question of balance that uh, I uh, well, Lindsay Tanner, the finance minister gave a speech on Monday night where he very articulately, in my view, argued the case for continuing with the tax cuts, uh, that it's very important, obviously, uh, simply in the levels of being, delivering on the budget, on the election promise and being fair with taxpayers, but also in terms of this whole debate about what, how we get the right balance in the economy, that the tax cuts will encourage more people back into the workforce, will encourage more people to uh, to to work longer and that in, is important in providing more supply into the into the market and therefore uh, help bring well not not that dramatic pressure on inflation but certainly takes also be in some to some extent an anti-inflation mechanism and we've got to remember also Barry that the tax cuts are only coming off increasing taxation it's not like um, you know taxes the tax is steady and uh, this is going to cut the tax we'll pay. We'll still pay a lot more tax mm. in the course of uh 08, 09 and beyond. And you made a very important point. They don't all arrive in one lump. They are spread out. So it's not, there's sort of an exaggerated impression that $31 billion is going to drop into the economy yeah.
1: and cause the surging spending on, all on day one. That's not going to be the case. No, fair enough. OK, Cherry, well, we're just going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll have a look at stock markets. That's been on a lot of people's minds, uh, not only of the direct investors, but people with superannuation.
0: And this is Finance Talk back on to a new RFM 103.7. Barry, we're talking with our special guest, Terry McCrann, today.
1: Yeah, we're very, very fortunate to have Terry McCrann with us. Terry, we've looked at inflation, interest rates, and of course, at the moment, on a lot of people's minds, stock markets. We are in a very large correction in world stock markets. Uh, and they have probably caused by different circumstances in most cases, but this one, I believe, is caused by the USA subprime mortgage fiasco. And what are we actually talking about here with this subprime mortgage fiasco?
0: What we're talking about, Barry, is this process in the US where uh, the major financial institutions were lending money, basically to people they shouldn't have been lending money to, people that... uh, had low incomes, excessively low incomes, uh, probably in many cases didn't even have jobs, uh, in some of those rust belt states around America. And then packaging those mortgages up in, into, into, into securities which they could sell to investors. So you put a hundred mortgages, say, together, uh, and people would invest in that, in the security which, which owned those mortgages. Uh, and they were quote-unquote subprime, which meant that they were not very attractive, not very secure investments. Now, a lot of those have defaulted, and that's sort of percolated through in losses into the U.S. financial system, in, including some of the biggest banks in the world, like Citigroup, uh, and that's caused a crisis of confidence, in the financial sector in the u.s and it's also meant that uh the property market the underlying property market in the u.s is uh is has been falling dramatically so and there's a huge amount of unsold homes or homes that people have just basically abandoned because they couldn't service their mortgages not the sort of thing that's happened in australia and not the sort of and we really don't have anything like the same structures which would cause that to happen yes people are stressed in australia some people are stressed on their mortgages but we don't have that really fundamental widespread series of defaults and that's caused uh, uh, stock markets all around the world to fall in um, with this
1: with this with this erosion of confidence just very briefly i, I I've read somewhere I think in America if you uh, you default on your mortgage you can walk away from it where here in Australia they can still uh, pursue you is that right
0: yeah, I mean, that, that's a very important point though in America and this is why a lot of people just walk out of their houses they leave the keys. Under the mat, <laughs> because the, in, well, the way the mortgage, mortgages are, uh, are structured in America, they can only claim the house uh, directly and not, not your other assets, whereas in Australia, of course, uh, you can be pursued for the debts uh, on, it, on your other assets.
1: Mm, Terry, should one believe uh, the commentary that we're reading that maybe we're through the worst or maybe we face more shocks? Uh, you know, no matter what happens like this, there'll always be the ripples around, you know, the big boom in the middle sort of thing and then the ripples that uh, spread out like uh, the old domino effect. Yeah, what do you think?
0: You're right. I mean, it, it, I've been around long enough and you have, Barry, to see that it, it's very easy to call the end of a, of a, of a, of a, collapse or a or, you know negative times early because so second round and third round effects that are yet to play out uh and no it's certainly not we're certainly not at the end of it we may be at the end of the the sort of uh the the, the big catas- cataclysmic losses that uh, we've seen in the u.s where that banks have had to write off literally 10 billion dollars or 15 billion dollars uh, of, of debts, of bad debts, but there's certainly going to be a lot of other things that are going to pop out of the woodwork as we go along. And we can see that simply by looking at some of the issues that have arisen in Australia that uh, have come sort of out of left field, and people haven't really anticipated uh, uh, them happening.
1: You know, once upon a time, million a millionaire was one thing. We talked in millions. Now we talk in billions. It's unbelievable, isn't it?
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> With all the doom and gloom that we uh, we see, uh, our Mineral resources are powering ahead with increased prices. Could one say that there is still many years left in uh, growth in Australia with these sort of booms?
0: Oh, I think absolutely, mate. Now, let's just take a sidestep away briefly that there's perception that, that our future now is entirely dependent on China and China's still powering away and uh, it's underwriting this huge, both the, both the demand for minerals and the prices that are being paid with the iron ore, iron ore producers about to receive a 70% increase in price for iron ore, which is an extraordinary figure, because there's such a huge expansion of uh, activity in China. Uh, that, that means that we what happens in the US is not important. Well, I don't buy that, Barry, because the US is still the most important economy in the world, and China's prosperity is still very much dependent on the US being a major market for what it makes. So... We are living in an an interconnected world, uh, and if there are problems in the U.S., that will impact on us, as we can see. I mean, we we just have to look what's happening on the stock exchange. Mm. But beyond that, uh, you're absolutely right that uh, what's changed in the world is the strength of China, and that's been great for Australia.
1: I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. We talk about credit markets, and we've seen lending institutions keep commenting that rates could rise outside RBA increases, that's reserve bank increases. What's sort of causing this, and have we all lost the plot now, and are we really pricing for real risk?
0: Well, again, we come back to the subprime meltdown issue in the US. Now, Australian banks and Australian financial institutions generally aren't suffering direct losses. They haven't been big investors in those sorts of investments, so they haven't been joining the big US banks in writing of large sums of money. However, the, the, the flow-on effect from that has been to increase the interest rates that have to be paid to borrow money in the US, and Australian banks do borrow in the US, so those, their cost of money has gone up, and that's, that's been the reason for these increases outside the RBA increases. But we're probably seeing the end of that now, uh, the, the future increases will probably only be those that uh, come from the Reserve Bank itself. Finance talk back and Barry Preston thinking about things financial with Terry McCrane, our guest we, today.
1: We're very privileged to have Terry McCrann, an Australian, uh, well known Australian economist uh, or financial reporter. Now, Terry, one of our problems, and it's not probably uh, isolated to Australia, which is our skills shortage. And I think the biggest challenge we face in meeting demands to compete in local and world markets is the shortage of skilled workers. How can we overcome this? Well,
0: I mean, obviously that's a long-term thing, Barry. Be, what we've been doing the last couple of years is importing a lot of skills on these 457 work visas where people can purportedly come in here, uh, coming out purportedly for a short-term stay. Uh, and that's been very, very useful. Um, but it, it, in terms of maintaining it on the long term, obviously, it means investment in, in education and uh, uh, and both in the formal sense and also in, in industry and in businesses themselves, that we really have to make a huge investment in building those skills. Now, the other side of the coin barrier, of course, if you do have a skill, it's, it's been very attractive. Uh, so you've been getting well rewarded uh, for those skills, and it's not just in the, the the resource states of Queensland and WA, but the rest of Australia. So again, there's usually two sides to these things.
1: But as, as I mentioned, it's not only Australia. Apparently, this is a, this is a worldwide phenomenon.
0: Well, absolutely, and again, it, you know, it comes back to what's happening in China and uh, and India. That we've suddenly had such a huge proportion of the world, which previously was not part of the. The modern world modern industry now becoming part of that and uh, if you have a if you have uh, any sort of skill in uh, across the board from uh, blue collar to white collar you uh, you are in demand
1: recessions we talk about these things once upon a time I remember a recession was when we went in from morning uh, from school to morning to halfway through to lunchtime we had a recess <laughs> um, yeah. and you know, a, a recess, I believe, is a drop in gross domestic uh, product for two consecutive uh, quarters. Is that correct?
0: Well, that's that's a a term that's often used. Uh, by by gross domestic product, we mean the total output of the economy. This is what the Bureau of Statistics measures, which is adding up purportedly what all we all what we what we all contribute, uh, all, all twenty one million of us, to the economy's growth and. I, I, I think I, I think that might be a sort of a bit uh, mechanical to, to use that measure, Barry. I like to think of it. Well, you know, I don't like to think of it, but I, in terms of in terms of judging it, it's when you really get a sharp slowdown in the economy and people start losing their jobs, and uh, and businesses start going broke.
1: That's a recession. Say the USA goes through one uh, of these uh, journeys to better times. We didn't have the powerhouse countries such as China and India driving world growth during other recessions. This, is, this has got to have some effect.
0: Absolutely, Barry. That's, that's the, the big plus, that uh, uh, the US slows down sharply. I don't think it be, will be unaffected, but certainly will be less badly affected uh, than it would have been in the past without China and uh, mm-hmm. India. And we just have to remember back to 1990, which was the last time we had the U.S. in recession, and Australia went into recession as, as, as badly as well, much worse than, in fact, what the, the recession in the U.S. So that was the recession we had to have, supposedly. Mm. Uh, now, many of your listeners, uh, or some of your listeners, may not be able to remember back to 1990, which is a demonstration of uh, how prosperous we've been for such a long time. We've had 16, 17 years of pretty much uh, a continuous growth in the economy and prosperity and rising living standards,
1: we certainly have. Terry, looking back uh, and con- in conclusion, and uh, thanks very much for being with us. But looking back in history, we've faced many ups and downs, natural disasters, self-inflicted disasters. We've survived, and it's all a matter of working through them, isn't it? Well,
0: absolutely, Barry.
1: Terry, uh, on behalf of everyone from Two NURFM one hundred three point seven and all the listeners in the Hunter Valley at the moment who have all their paddles out, thank you very much indeed for being uh, our guest and enlightening us on uh, some of the world financial matters. My pleasure, Barry. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Terry McCran, and that brings Finance Talk back to an end for today. Finance Talk back will be back next next Thursday after the midday news. Two NURFM one hundred three point seven.